Don't you think that it is fitting that Danny has been uh, walking through a series with us the past couple weeks about superheroes of faith, and uh, this morning we are celebrating Mother's Day. Um, How many of us have uh, mothers who have served that role in our lives? If you are a mom here this morning, will you stand up for us? We want to recognize you, mothers. Um, I I read a study uh, earlier this week that said that um, if you compiled the earning of what a mother should make, uh, basically based off of what she does, some of you may have seen this before, I think salary.com puts one out every year, Um, but this year the the estimated earnings or or projected salary of a mother is somewhere around $119,000 a year. I know all of you moms love hearing that <laughs> this morning, but there is great value and great worth in, um, in what you do and who you are in our families, and uh, so we want to honor you today. Um, even as we uh, think about uh, superheroes and mothers, I think often uh, we can correlate the two in the way that some of um, uh, a mother's job requires of them, what it requires of them. I think that you could probably come to mind with some superpowers that your mom probably has um, uh, when she uh, kind of kisses that boo-boo and heals that wound, it makes it all better, right? Like it's this magical healing that a mother can do. Um, And the way that she can look at you with that look and somehow manipulate you without saying a word into doing that thing that you did not want to do, like she can read your mind. You know what I'm saying? It's like a super, it's like a superpower. Well, this morning, um, as we think about mothers and we honor and celebrate mothers, and there are also some of us in the room today that celebrating Mother's Day and thinking about mothers is, is tinted with a little bit of pain. Now, some of us have lost mothers um, even over the course of the past year. Some of us have experienced um, miscarriages, or there are some of us that are longing to be a mother and waiting for uh, the Lord to provide that. And so this morning, as we think and we celebrate and honor our mothers, we also, um, first and foremost, want to remember that God is the um, one who has given us those mothers in the first place, that he is the author of all life, and that he himself lets nothing slip through his hands, that he cares for us, and he is with us this morning as we celebrate and as we worship this morning, we're going to uh, be working from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to go ahead and open up, um, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 3, and talking about a legacy of faith, a legacy of faith. And we see a really beautiful picture of what a legacy of faith looks like in the life of Timothy and the way that Paul writes to him. And this morning, I think that there is some definite correlations between what Paul is writing to Timothy and how the truth of, of the gospel and the truth of, of, of the scriptures are spoken into our own lives. So this is um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in, verse, starting in verse 3. It says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grand, grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until the day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. We see several things that are happening in this opening section of 2 Timothy. Even the tone that Paul writes with when he writes to Timothy, you can see there's a lot of interconnectivity going on here. He writes with a very kind of gentle, pastoral, even kind of mentoring tone in the way that he talks to him. But he kind of breaks this section. The beginning of chapter 2 is, is, uh, of, of 2 Timothy 2, chapter 1, is broken down into kind of three different areas, three different sections. And I want us to walk through these three different areas together this morning in kind of sequential order. So first, look at verses 3 through 5. What is Paul doing here? He is remembering. Even kind of pay attention to the way that the words break down here. He says, I thank God who I serve as my ancestors did as I remember you. He's thanking God as he remembers Timothy. He remembers his tears. He remembers his faith. He remembers the faith of his grandmother, the faith of his mother, and faith that he even sees in Timothy, <coughs> excuse me, in Timothy now as well. There's a lot of remembering here. And it's intimate remembering. It's not just like remembering kind of facts and things that have happened. What Paul is talking about are, are intimate kind of details of his experience with Timothy and what he has seen in Timothy's life. When he starts off saying that he remembers, um, he thanks God as he remembers Timothy, there are kind of ideas of affection and fondness that come up in this mentor's mind. Paul um, led Timothy to Christ. He has invested in him, writes letters to him, has written letters to him like this one here, and is very, very intricately connected to Timothy's life and his ministry. And the way that he writes, it's kind of this just recalling experience, recalling who God has made Timothy to be. He even says that he remembers the tears that he saw in Timothy. So it's this kind of last parting that they've had from one another since Paul has seen Timothy last and now is writing a letter to him with some other letters, we have another one that's recorded in Scripture. But he remembers kind of the, the sadness that just filled Timothy with the idea of being separated from Paul. It's, it's very connected, what Paul is talking about here. There's investment, deep, deep investment in this young man. Investment in his life and his good and investment in the church that he leads. We see as Paul remembers Timothy, he doesn't just remember a parting and an experience in tears. We see that Paul even takes a step and he remembers Timothy's family. He says that he remembers the faith of his mother and the faith of his grandmother, faith that he is sure dwells in Timothy. And what he's saying here is he, um, he remembers the way that he saw that, that Timothy's mother was a good, God-loving Jewess. Um, if we see in Acts chapter 16 that Timothy's dad was Greek, Timothy's mother um, was Jewish, and that even um, the idea that, that Timothy's mom, that she took seriously the idea of Deuteronomy 6, that she taught Timothy well the Old Testament. 
She taught him well to love and serve and fear Yahweh. And that faith, it was only made complete in Christ Jesus. And the way that Paul writes, he's saying that that Timothy, he follows in the footsteps of his mother. Not only did he believe and trust in Yahweh and follow like a good Jew would, but that he has trusted Christ and that his mother has trusted Christ and his grandmother has trusted Christ. And that that same faith, it's dwelling in Timothy. He sees it in Timothy now. There is this legacy of faith that was in Timothy's parents that's now being evident in Timothy himself. You think about how Paul, if he knew um, Timothy's mom and, and grandmother, how there are lots of things that he could have said about them. He could have said how they probably made really good hummus, if we're thinking about Middle Eastern food, or baklava, like that they could have done really, done really good kind of maternal, motherly things. He could have even recalled maybe sitting down at the table with Timothy's mother and grandmother and having conversation with them. But what he's saying is, as I remember you, as I thank God for you, as I remember those tears that happened when we parted one another, as I remember those things, I also remember your mom, I remember your grandmother, and I remember the faith that they had and how Paul sees that faith in Timothy now. He emphasizes their faith what they passed down and what they gave to Timothy. I think back about my own life, and you could do this as well, I'm sure. If you have a relationship with Christ, if you've placed your trust in Jesus to make right that relationship with God that our sin that we were born with started us off wrong with, if you trust in Jesus, you can think back about your own life, the legacy that someone lived before you that you are the benefactor of. I think about me. I think about the guy that shared the gospel with me when I was in high school, about how he lived a legacy in such a way that he spoke the truth of the gospel to me. I think about my own mother. I think about how I was in high school. I would come downstairs in the morning for um, early uh, basketball workouts, and before I'm walking out the door, I see my mom, Debbie, sitting in her rocking chair with her Bible, Spending time with Jesus, it was one of the first things that I remember seeing before I walked out of the door every morning in high school. I think about the guy who discipled me all through college, how he poured his life and poured his faith into me, that he showed me what it was like to be a man that loves Jesus. How I'm living in the benefit of these people's legacy, and I continue to do so. I serve under a pastor and alongside pastors that have years of following Jesus, and I get to see that legacy even lived out in my own life. And this is exactly the type of investment and legacy that Paul is talking about here. Paul himself had invested interest in Timothy. Paul's mother and grandmother, obviously, they had investment in Timothy. But that investment, it turns to legacy, and that legacy is lived, is lived out practically. One of Holly and I's um, closest friends, um, she uses this phrase a lot. She says that the gospel only comes to us on its way to someone else. So we receive the gospel, we hear the gospel, we get to be the benefactor of someone else trusting in Jesus, and we hear those good news, that good news that Jesus has died for us and that he has risen from the grave so that we can have a relationship with God and spend eternity with him in heaven. But that good news has come to us only on its way to someone else. 
Paul saw that. That was his mission. That was his endeavor in life. He heard the gospel. Jesus met him on that road. And from then on out, his mission was to share the good news of Jesus. Timothy's mother, his grandmother, we can only speculate here, but the idea that they hear about Jesus, and as they are hearing about Jesus and Timothy hears about Jesus, that they're continuing to tell about his goodness. That this is good news that we are made right with God through the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel, it comes to us, but it comes to us on its way to someone else. Now, we may not all have a godly legacy. There are some of you, I know for sure, that you are first-generation believers in your family. And so when you think about the legacy that your parents have left you, they may have um, taught you how to be good, may have taught you how to be moral, may have taught you how to do good things. But the fact that you today are sitting here, that you may not have a legacy of faith that comes before you, that does not make you less than. We are all saved out of the same sin and by the same grace and that faith that we have in Jesus. It is what saves us, not our parents, not the legacy that comes before us. The legacy that we live in is not pursuing after our parents, it's pursuing after Jesus. So Paul remembers this. He remembers Timothy. He remembers Timothy's family. He remembers Timothy's faith. But then this next chunk, verses 6 and 7, Paul not only remembers at the beginning, but then he offers a reminder to Timothy. He says, if you look in, uh, look in verse 6 with me real quick, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan and to flame the, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Now, Paul, there's a lot of questioning that I think could come into play with this one passage right here. Um, there's, he doesn't specifically name what kind of gifting he is talking about when he talks about, um, about Timothy's gifts that he has received and how they need to be fanned into flame, that there's kind of this spark or this timidity that lies in Timothy. And Paul is saying, don't be timid, don't be scared, don't be fearful, because God didn't give you that spirit When he saved you, he didn't save you reluctantly. He saved you boldly. Now, boldly with the power that comes through the Spirit of God. Use those gifts that he has given you. Now, there's there's speculation. Lots of scholars speculate on this. It was probably the gifting that is referred to is probably pastoral in Bend. Had something to do with communication or church leadership or teaching, anything like that. And the idea of Paul laying his hands on Timothy, it's not like Paul gave Timothy those gifts. Paul just happened to be present. He was there when the church would potentially set apart Timothy, where he was like ordained or commissioned, and it's this affirmation that God gives gifts. God gives it. And while Paul was there and his hands were laid on him and they're praying for him, that God bestowed those things to him. And he was a part of that praying process. So Paul, he says, you have this gift. You should use this gift, these gifts that God has given you. They're given to you for your good, but they're ultimately given to you for God's glory, that the gifting would point to the gift giver. God gives those to us. Now, there's been a lot of of talk, I guess, around shades over the past couple months about identifying what gifting looks like for each one of us. That if we have a relationship with Jesus that God has individually given us each specific talents and abilities and passions that he desires to use in us 
to be able to, to make the, the gospel clear and ring loudly to those that are around us. It may be singing. It may be serving in such a way that, if, if you remember the video from last week, it may be sewing costumes. It may be, it may be greeting people as they walk in the door. It may be, be hospitality that you utilize in your own life, but you have gifting. God has made you specifically and equipped you specifically in a way that, that you and I get to live out the truth of the gospel through the gifts that he's given us. You've probably heard the phrase before that God doesn't have any grandchildren. We don't become people who are, are children or grandchildren of God through the faith that comes before us, like we have to connect through the one who, who, who shared the gospel with us or connect through the one who lived out faith before us. But that God saved me and God saved you individually, that he knows us and that God equipped me and God equipped you to be able to live out the goodness of the gospel. And we get to do it in creative ways, ways that he has specifically intended for each one of us. So to know our gifting, like Paul is saying to Timothy, know your gifting and use it. Don't be shy about it. Don't hold back. Don't be scared. But live boldly in ways that God has created us, created you, specifically to live that the gospel can be reflected clearly, clearly through us. We want to do this. We want to live out the gospel the way that God has, has made us to live. Look at this next chunk with me real quick, and this is the longest that we'll look at this morning. Verses 8 through 14. Paul says to Timothy, he says, Therefore don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He's saying again, I know your faith. I know what God has equipped you with in order for the gospel to be made clear. Now, don't be ashamed of who has saved you. Don't be ashamed of Jesus, the one who made you and equipped you in the first place, even to the point of sharing and suffering, that God would be with him and equip him and give him power in the midst of difficulty. Now, verse 9, it says, the power of God, the end of verse 8, who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, apostle, teacher. Isn't it interesting that he even lists his own appointing, his own gifting in this section? which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know who I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until the day what has been entrusted to me. Paul is reminded of Timothy's faith. He remembers it. Then he issues a reminder to be the man that God has created him to be, to live out the gospel specifically in a way that he was created to live it. And now he calls Timothy to live in the same example that Paul and even his mother and grandmother have set for him, to live in this legacy of faith. It's almost like Paul's saying, you've seen it done for you. You've been the benefactor of it. You have, you have seen faith lived out and invested in you. And now do the same thing. Use that gifting boldly. Verse 13, he says, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. 
And the faith and love that's in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, guard the good deposit that's entrusted to you. Do it. Live the same legacy, the same legacy of faith that you've seen lived out before you, that made the gospel clear to you in the first place. Repeat it. Follow Jesus in such a way that you're calling other people to follow him as well. Be a disciple, a follower of Jesus in such a way that you're calling other people, the Great Commission here, to be a disciple, to follow Jesus with you. Now, what does he say here? Does he say, now you've been given good gifts, now rely on those gifts for you to earn more favor from God that will then enable you to share the gospel with more people? Does he say, continue to be a good person so that people will look at you and revere you and think well of you in such a way that you're going to be able to to clearly share the gospel with him or people will trust in you? No, what Paul is saying here is he's saying that these gifts that have been given, this faith that has been entrusted to us, it's not of our works, but it is by the purpose and plans of God through Jesus Christ. We do not earn this faith. I did not earn a mother who loves Jesus. I did not earn my way to hear the gospel and for my heart to be be receptive to it, for the gospel, like 2 Corinthians 4 says, for the, the veil to be lifted from my eyes and the gospel to shine clear in my heart. I did not do anything to earn that. You cannot do anything to earn salvation. It is God's purpose and his work through the person of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. God saved us and he called us to a holy calling, not because of our good works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Now, did what we're saying here, are we, are we saying that there is not good works as a result of the salvation that comes through Christ? This is This is the debate of the church for ages, right? But what we are saying, what Scripture does say clearly, is that our works don't earn for us anything. Our works are a result out of that relationship that we are already placed into. We trust in Jesus. We have a relationship with him as our Savior, as with God as our Father, and our relationship causes us to live out good works, to follow, literally follow Jesus with our lives in a way that reflects him. So it's not like we're pursuing good works, we're pursuing a legacy, we're pursuing good things, we're pursuing Jesus. And as a result of pursuing Jesus, those things happen in our lives. They're a byproduct because we're mirroring him. We're doing like he does. So it's not of our good works. The salvation we receive is only by faith in Jesus. Only by faith. This is good news for me this morning, guys. This is good, good news. Because when I think about my works, when I think about the things I do, often they're the antithesis of of good that would earn me anything that looks like salvation. And maybe even this morning, for some of you here, even some of you moms, when you got that card this morning and it said, world's best mother, it was almost like it was a slap in the face. Because you think about all the things that would disqualify you from being the world's greatest mother. You think about all the things that you wish you could have done, the list you have set for yourself or that one you found on Pinterest that says, here, 
It's true. It says here are all the things that you need to do to be a good mom. When the scriptures tell us that being a good mom will not earn you anything, being a good dad will not earn you anything, but following Jesus is what earns us salvation and gives us purpose for anything else that would flow out of our lives. I need that good news. I need to know that Jesus was for me that perfect son. That Jesus is for me that perfect father. That Jesus is for me that perfect friend. That he accomplished for me what I could not. And that in turn, through, through the gospel, through the truth of Jesus, he gives me that righteousness. I inherit it. I get it because I am a son of God. I receive it. We receive it this morning. This is good news for us, friends. This is good news. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his his own purpose and grace. Now, the purpose that we see, it is accomplished in Jesus. The purpose of salvation for man and ultimate glory for God, it is accomplished in Jesus and in Jesus alone. So in saving us, God's purpose is accomplished through the work of Christ's perfect life on our behalf, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, his sitting in finality next to God the Father in heaven. Through that work, what he has accomplished, his purpose is accomplished. And we see the grace of God manifested to us because we did not get what we deserved. We had the goodness of God given to us instead of the penalty for our sin. We received his grace. So what Paul says to Timothy here is he says, now keep doing this. Keep doing this same thing. Follow this pattern of teaching that I have set for you. Now, we can read a lot of what Paul wrote throughout the New Testament in his letters. We can read through 2 Timothy. We can read through another letter specifically written to Timothy and 1 Timothy. And and we can say this is the pattern that Paul has set for Timothy. And ultimately, what Paul is saying to Timothy is follow Jesus. Follow him. Not the list. Not what you confine yourself to. But follow Jesus. This is our answer to most things in life as believers. How should we live? How should we be a friend? How should we be a son? How should we be a daughter? How should we be a father? How should we be a mother? We should reflect the nature and character of Jesus. I I think that often, and I've heard and probably preached many sermons like this, where the end result comes down to, so what do we do? Right? Like, what do we do? Tell me what to do. Well, follow Jesus. Well, what does that mean, right? What does that mean to follow Jesus? Well, the good news is I have two things that I kind of want to turn a corner with here. The good news is is that we, um, through the word of God, through the way that he has revealed himself to us in scripture, we see Jesus, we see God in flesh here on earth. And we can read the scriptures and we can see how Jesus lived, how he responded, what he valued, and our lives can reflect that. Our lives can can mirror image what that looked like. But this morning, I want to kind of take another step of practicality together, kind of based off of what Paul is saying here in in 2 Timothy. 
when he says that we're not saved by our own, our own good works, but we're saved through Christ and accomplishing God's purpose and we're seeing his grace, I think that one way, just practically this morning, if you're, if you're walking out of here and you're saying, so what did we talk about? Well, we talked about remembering our faith. We talked about being reminded that God has made us individually and to, to live a life pursuing Jesus that lives a legacy of faith in our wake. All right, so how do we do that last part? In um, Holly and I's uh, life, uh, my wife and I, over the past several months, we um, have just been really, uh, really convicted by the idea of grace, of just grace personally, of both receiving grace for ourselves and extending grace to others. And this is, this is the heart of the gospel, friends. This is exactly what Paul is talking about to Timothy when he is saying that he remembers his faith. That we would receive grace, that, that Timothy would be reminded that he has received grace, that he's received the goodness of God when he deserved the opposite. And that we this morning, if we've trusted in Jesus, it's the same thing. We have received grace. We've received God's goodness for us. Not the penalty that we want to condemn ourselves to, not all the things that we think we have done wrong, but that God's grace covers over us and that when we trust in Jesus that that wrong, that sin is forgiven. The imperfection that we are as flawed and broken humanity, it is forgiven in Christ. We confess those things to him. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which means that all that's left is righteousness. The righteousness of Christ is the only thing that's left. That we receive that grace from him. That grace that we need. And so this morning, as we're looking at this legacy, the first thing that I, I, I'm wrapping my mind around and would encourage us to wrap our minds around is to receive the grace of God in your life. You are not perfect and you will never be. We need forgiveness. If you were perfect, then the cross is void. If we didn't need forgiveness, then there was no need for the death of Christ. It was crazy and it was cruel, but we need forgiveness. We need to be made right with God. And the only way that that happens is through the person of Jesus. The only way we need the cross. We need it. Like we need air. We need the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. We need the righteousness of Christ. We need to receive that grace. And this morning, that grace is for us. That grace is for you. Only through Jesus. So the self-condemnation that you're living under, the condemnation that you are receiving from others, Scripture tells us that it is all wiped away and the slate is made clean only through Jesus. Receive that grace. Receive it. It's yours. Only through Jesus, but it's yours. So we receive it, and we receive it only in turn to extend it. I don't know about you. I'm giving you lots of self-disclosure this morning. But at times, I feel like I am the one who gets to decide whether someone is worthy of forgiveness or worthy of grace, or worthy of being tolerated. Like I just totally ignore the grace that has been extended to me by God through Jesus. And I say, you have wronged me, you have hurt me, you have not lived up to my standard, and I'll let you know when you do. Or you've made it to the list and you're never going to. 
And that's not how we as people who are pursuing Jesus and following after him, that's not how we are to live. If we receive grace and in turn don't extend it to others, it's only one side and we're saying it's only good for us. Even thinking about Mother's Day this morning, as you may need to receive grace for yourself and your motherhood, you may need to extend grace to your mother. Ooh, that's hard. Maybe she has not lived up to the standard that you thought she should. Maybe she is not living up to the standard that you thought she should. Maybe she's hurt you. Maybe she's wronged you. Now, I'm not saying that you need to perpetuate an abusive or unhealthy relationship, but what I am saying is that we individually have to come to a place, whether it's with our mothers or with someone else, where we extend the same grace to others that we have received ourselves, that we are willing to forgive that we're willing to extend forgiveness like we have received it. That we're willing to say that, that, that you need grace just like I need grace. And so there is forgiveness. There's forgiveness that's extended. There's grace that washes over offense. And we trust God to be the one who makes it all work out in the end in any way. So as we look to live this legacy of faith, as we pursue Jesus and look for faith in him to be left in our wake, maybe where we start is just by receiving and extending. Receiving the grace of God and extending grace to others. Receiving the grace of God for every single ounce of our lives. And extending grace when we've been wronged, when we've been hurt, when we've been disappointed. Because it's the same grace that we need, that we need in return. So this morning, Paul's message on Mother's Day today, there's a couple different directions that you could leave today. I would encourage you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, to think about that faith that has been lived in front of you. To remember the man or woman that shared Jesus with you, where the Spirit of God entered into your life and you became a child of God. Remember that man. Remember that woman. Thank God for their legacy. Also, be reminded that God saved you as you, not as somebody else, but as you. And he wants you to live out his purpose for you, the way that he has equipped you to live it out. Be reminded of that. And lastly, to live a legacy of faith. Following after Jesus, that legacy comes as secondary. Following after Jesus, receiving grace, extending grace. There may be some of you here this morning that you have not received grace in the first place. You've not received, you've not trusted in Jesus for forgiveness. All those things that you feel like you need forgiven for and things that keep you um, in a position where God would never want to accept you or never want to take you in, he wants to forgive you for those things. By trusting in Christ, his perfect life, his sacrifice, his resurrection. This morning, maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to receive the grace that comes along with salvation. In just a second, we're going to have a time of response. And during this response, I'm trusting that the Spirit of God lands his word the way that he needs to land his word in our hearts and in our minds. 
whatever truth he has for you this morning. My prayer is that you'll respond to that. Maybe it's remembrance. Maybe it's grace. Maybe it's just salvation for the first time. Maybe it's being a part of our church family where we're a people that are saying together, we need the grace of Jesus to live as the people of God together. Maybe that's where you are. But my prayer is that you'll act and that you'll respond. If you'll stand up, I'm going to say a prayer for us. Michael's going to lead us in a song. And as we sing, there's time for you to move. There's actually even, and I may be being a little bit daring here, but there may be somebody in the room that you need to extend grace to. It may even take a little bit of humility to do it, but feel free to act and move and respond in that way. Come forward and pray. Talk to your neighbor. Whatever you need to do to respond to the word of God. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is our righteousness. That he is our perfection. He is everything that we cannot be. And this morning, for those of us that have a relationship with him, we thank you that you, um, you have saved us. You have saved us through him. And for those of us this morning that don't have a relationship with him yet, God, I thank you that you offer that salvation freely to us through your grace. God, this morning as we uh, spend time together singing, as we remember who you are to us, remember the faith that you have given us, God, I pray that our hearts would be open to respond, to receive the grace that you've given us and to extend that grace to others. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is our only hope. We thank you for time to respond to your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.